This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine This Week has been provided by RSM. for challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax, and consulting for the middle market. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you for joining us on AutoLine this week. You know, it wasn't all that long ago, you got in a car, you drove the car, that was that. Guess what? Today's cars generate a tremendous amount of data. That data can also be monetized. There's a lot of money to be made on it, but it's also got to be protected from a cybersecurity standpoint. That's what today's show is all about. Because joining me for that discussion are Mike Branch. He's the vice president of data and analytics from a company called Geotab. We'll learn more about that in a moment, too. Brian Short is the vice president of North America from a company called Caramba. Should be Icaramba. <laughs> and Jim Miller is the vice president and CTO of Cloud and Platform Services at a company called DXC. And thanks for being here today, guys. Really Thank interesting. Pleasure Thank to be you. here. Jim, let me start with you. I, I, I mentioned cars generate all kinds of data. What kind of data and volumes are we talking about? Uh, you're absolutely right. In, in today's day of autonomous vehicles and the digital age, a typical test vehicle for autonomous driving generates about 50 terabytes of data a day. Okay, now I know that's a lot. Well, how much is a lot? To give you the context of that, a uh, typical laptop that you buy nowadays has a terabyte of storage. It's the equivalent of filling up 50 laptops in a single day. 50 laptops in a single day, that's a lot of data. And when you look at centralized data, when you accumulate data over time, we're looking at about 120 exabytes of data. That's 120 followed by 18 zeros. Wow, <laughs> lots. So Mike, what can you do with this data once, once it's been collected? I, I mean, there's so much you can do. So um, at Geotab, we help a lot of our commercial fleet customers, right? So uh, it's about safety for them. It's about productivity. Uh, but then looking at this data at aggregate, at scale, that's where it becomes really interesting, looking at all sorts of smart city insights. So, I mean, we collect about uh, 40 billion records per day uh, in the ecosystem over about 1.8 million commercial vehicles. So just like a, a wealth of information. So everything from looking at your windshield wipers and being able to detect whether they're being activated right now, that gives you hyper-local uh, precipitation uh, data, right? That isn't something that even the weather companies uh, have access to. It's ground truth data about what's happening right now at aggregate. So, I mean, it's, it's really fascinating. Everything from safety, harsh braking, hard acceleration, windshield wiper activation, temperature, like it's, it's, it's crazy. You guys probably know this too, I mean, insane. Okay, Brian, lots of data, <laughs> lots of ways to make money on the data, but boy, that's gotta be a temptation for thieves, cyber thieves, and that's what your company's all about. Yeah, so there's there's a couple of different aspects to that, right? So uh, as you add more data, and uh, whether it's personal data or data generated from, you know, components within the vehicle, uh, there's a pipe, right? There's there's communication outlets to and from the vehicle, and those have to be protected. Those have to be cyber secured. Otherwise, there are certain people out there in the world that will find ways in. 
And the way we look at it is how do we make these vehicles secured so that whether it's personal data or data that could affect the control of a vehicle are not affected. And not just from a security perspective, but ultimately a safety perspective. Yeah. I, and I think it's also like it's pri it's security, but privacy. You touched on Absolutely. that as well too. Two completely different but connected uh, things. And I mean that's a huge thing with a lot of the legislation in the, in Europe, the GDPR, that's right. California Consumer Privacy Act, um, uh, the need to actually make sure that even if you're d divulging aggregate level data, that that is is secure and that it is private as well too. Running motivated intruder attacks and risk reidentification attacks on this data to make sure that nobody can can find out who that end driver or, or customer is. Right. What kind of attacks are going on? I mean, you know, we've heard, you know, Wired Magazine published the story of some guys that, you know, broke into a Jeep, you know, hacked into a Jeep is the way I, I but other than some stories that have appeared in the press, what kind of attacks are going on? Well, so obviously there's, you know, we, we just on the heels of, of DEF CON and, and Black Hat, where everybody puts these challenges together and they encourage all the hackers to come in and, and try to hack in. Obviously there's reported and then there's unreported. And obviously when we get pull, pulled in and whether it's at a tier one level or at an OEM level, they're looking at from a, today more of a proactive approach, but historically more of a reactive approach. They're looking at it across the board how many of these are truly white hat and they're just doing it for the sake of seeing if they can do it and how many of them have you know certain uh, malicious intent bad guys bad guys yeah. so are we talking onesie twosie kind of things oh, or no, hundreds no. or thousands yes absolutely at different levels and certainly and, and a lot of it's related to data and some of it gets actually down into uh, you know now you're seeing uh, uh, access into the you know electronic control systems that protect like the ADOS, the telematics, all of these that have outside connectivity to them are all at risk. So you know the infotainment with the data, as I mentioned, uh, the ADOS, the V2X, the vehicle communication back and forth to cars into uh, control lights and any of those things. Um, other forms of um, some things I can't talk about. So I got to be careful. But yes, absolutely. Anything that has in, in outside connectivity to it is at risk. And, and some, oh, go ahead. Oh, and many companies store their information in the public cloud. That information is encrypted, of course, but it's encrypted by a key. And what we find is many employees don't take care of that key. It's stored incorrectly, not managed correctly, and provides essentially an open avenue into that data. Mm. And we see a lot of people thinking that, especially with, I'm sure that you guys are aware, with uh, latitude and longitude telematics data, anonymizing um, location data is not an easy thing. It's, it's very difficult, it's very challenging. Just by having a piece of location data, you can track back who that, who that person was. If I know, some people will say, no, I can anonymize harsh braking events, right? But if I know that somebody is slamming on their brakes outside of a, of a Starbucks every Friday morning at 8 a.m., I can position myself there and figure out who that probably was. So uh, looking at anonymization techniques around longitude, latitude, places where people are traveling, it's, it's uh, not an easy thing. Gets back to the whole privacy concern yeah, that's out yeah, there. Yeah. All this data, Jim, I'm wondering, you know, sometimes I'm working in the office, like, where did I leave that piece of paper? You know, I gotta look something up. <clears throat> I mean, it's got to be a huge pain in the neck with all this data to be able to retrieve exactly what you want when you need it. When you look at the, the life cycle of the data and the path of the data, the vehicle itself generates data from multiple sensors. And you need to be able to track what sensor it came from, what time it came from, and then coordinate, coordinate that data together. 
And then as that data moves through the data path up to a, a storage environment, whether that be private environment or a public cloud environment, because of the volumes and number of vehicles, number of test days, um, it all has to be cataloged and archived and synchronized so that you can get to what you need, when you need it, even years later. And so, Brian, that's got to be an, uh, a real challenge. I mean, people are worried about hackers hacking their car and driving it off a cliff. But, you know, as, as Jim pointed out, there's all kinds of data and servers. It's at car companies, it's at supplier companies, it's at dealerships, it's... I mean, this whole cyber protection thing has got to be a, it's a huge it's a, challenge. It is, and it's a paradigm shift, as you can imagine. So as red, le, uh, legislation becomes uh, you know, uh, more prominent in the industry, um, there are certain aspects within the, the ecosystem of the car community that are saying we need these layers of security to protect data, to protect access, mm -hmm. to protect these things. And again, not just from a security perspective, but ultimately from a safety perspective. So yes, data, personal data is, is at risk and it's, it's a concern. I think that I will challenge what you just said. I think a lot of people at home aren't thinking about the risks of a cybersecurity attack at home. They're, they're not even thinking about that. Data is another thing. Infotainment systems, having all the personal data, communicating with their cell phones, all of that. That's more of what they're thinking about today, but us in the, in the auto industry are looking at it going, while that's incredibly important, we're more concerned about the safety aspects and the security. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike, you had mentioned that, you know, if the windshield wipers come on, you mm -hmm. know, whoa, we know where that car is, it's probably raining right mm -hmm. there, uh, weather services mm -hmm. might want to mm -hmm. buy that data. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit more, I mean, we, we hear a lot of talk about data monetization, yeah. of data coming <coughs> from cars. In yeah. fact, I think uh, uh, McKinsey put out a study a couple of years ago that said data monetization for the automotive industry could grow to be a $750 billion a year industry by 2030. Mm -hmm. You know, just a decade away from almost zero today. Yeah. What, what do you see as the outlook? Yeah, so we look at it uh, from a bit of a different perspective. So we don't believe in data monetization, we believe in data value creation, right? So it's about finding where the value is in that data with our partner ecosystem and, and with customers. Uh, and then seeing how that can provide added value uh, to, uh, to their business. Um, a lot of our customers uh, find value in, in the benchmarking aspects, right? So understanding how their fleets are performing against other fleets. We can give you the real world fuel economy uh, and looking at does a, a Chevy a Silverado perform as well as a Ford F-150 in the mountainous ranges. All of this data we uh, collect together and provide these benchmarks. So it's less about the monetization. And, and there's, uh, it's, it's a touchy area around this uh, um, sector as well too when you sp uh, start looking at privacy legislation and, and all of this kind of thing. So we believe in value creation back to our ecosystem as a result of collecting a lot of uh, this data. Okay, I, I'm not asking you to name names of your clients, Yeah. but what kind of companies are coming to you? Yeah, so I mean, they're the large fleets, right? Um, uh, small and large, actually. We have uh, as, as small fleets as one, all the way through to 100,000 in, in a single fleet, right? So these are some of uh, the largest uh, brands that you would recognize driving uh, on the road, right? Um, and they're concerned mainly, again, from a safety perspective, making sure their drivers are safe, and how can we help them uh, by applying machine learning to identify at-risk drivers um, uh, because they may have had a bad day, or uh, you know, there's a consistent trend, downward trend, or it might be productivity as well too. Um, so 
Some of our customers might be, you know, waste management type facilities where, you know, we actually will, uh, ha we have a little um, output on the side of the device that connects up to a waste scale, right? So all of a sudden now you're, you're driving to pick up uh, refuse. Uh, you, you get charged, uh, they, the company charges you for the time that you take to get to the, uh, the actual end location. We weigh what's going on on the back scale, right? And then the whole invoice is generated automatically, right? So it's that really that IoT device for the commercial vehicle um, is, uh, is uh, but I mean the, the use cases are broad. I mean from municipal vehicles to the, through to uh, heavy duty fleets, um, everything ranging from a Honda Civic through to a class eight heavy duty truck is, uh, is a customer of ours. And when you look at value of the data, some things you can put a direct dollar amount on, some things are, are a little bit more nebulous. For instance, uh, improvements in customer satisfaction or customer perception, very difficult to put a, a dollar amount on, but things like improvements in predictive maintenance to avoid warranty claims have a definite uh, dollar amount by, from a manufacturer that you can uh, nail down. Well, you touch on that, that's, I mean, that's where we see a huge amount of value, right, is in the predictive maintenance. Um, and uh, it's not uh, necessarily sometimes as a result of, oh, it's going to cost a lot for it to fix, but what is the downtime associated with that? Mm -hmm. So if I'm, uh, you know, delivery truck on the road, if I can tell you, which we developed some machine learning algorithms that can tell you when your battery is going to fail ahead of time, well, the battery is 150 bucks to replace, but you being down on the side of the road is costing you a heck of a lot more than that. So let's tell you like a few days in advance, a few months in advance, when that trend is, is going down. But I w would imagine too, uh, that, as you point out there, Jim, warranty is a huge expense for all automakers. I mean, it's easy for a large manufacturer to spend a billion dollars a year on, on warranty. So if you could help reduce that, that expense, it would be a huge payoff for them. Are they coming to you to work on that? Well, typically in a, in a warranty system, you look at complaint cause condition, the, the traditional things. But also, we look at the text in a warranty claim raw text and analyze trends in the raw text to help determine patterns in warranty claims which can then lead to prediction of certain warranty claims and a reduction in the overall claim. And automakers and suppliers are, are coming to you? Absolutely. Oh, very interesting. Absolutely. Brian, let's talk more about the, the, the cyber end of things. How do you protect cars? How do you protect this data? Uh, you know, it's, it, things are evolving. Obviously, so there's there's solutions today that we're working with uh, various uh, uh, OEMs and and tier ones and so on that, on today's technology, but also looking ahead to tomorrow's technology. So a lot of things are migrating. Remember, everybody's developing four or five years out, right? So um, there's today's solutions and then there's tomorrow's solutions. One of the things that we just uh, somebody just asked me in the back was, were you guys the ones that were uh, broadcasting all of that high, uh, uh, hacking data at, at Car MBS this summer? And so, yeah, Crumba was doing that. So we tracked from day one all the way through the end. I think you saw that. I, I did well. see that data. I was blown away by it. Yeah, and most people don't realize that, right? So how, how many attacks are going on? How many on? attacks are actually going on? How many of them are actually successful? Where they're, they're taking place around the world? Exactly. So that's the type of tool that we put out there uh, to help you know, the, the part manufacturers do like a final stage of security testing. How do you do that? How do you track all the many thousands of attacks going on every single day? Well, it's the, you know, it's our secret sauce. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, and, we, and the purpose of doing it was to gather intel and data, right? It was to, to figure out where they were coming from, how they were doing it, what types of attacks, that way you can guard against it. How serious are they? As you said, there's some white hatters out there just seeing if they can do it, and then there's the bad guys. Right, and so uh, as we saw at the end of the show, somebody was very successful at hacking through an actual automotive ECU that we had set up. 
Um, and we obviously, we caught it. That's part of what we do. We catch it, we defend against it and prevent it from happening, but we gather all the forensic data associated with that attack. So then we can then share that with the manufacturer, the tier one, so they can find a, a long-term fix for that. Mm -hmm. And when we talked about cost of downtime, that's one of the things that we're trying to reduce is so that something doesn't happen and they have to you know, do a complete recall. They're able to do something where they can prevent it, keep it protected on the road while doing a long-term fix. And I gotta imagine in your end of the business, there is no finish line. No. You don't go, hey, uh, we got this one licked, because the bad guys are always figuring out new ways around it and sharing that information with other bad guys. Absolutely. In fact, we've seen you know, um, different types of attacks that have increased over 400% in the last 18 months alone. And they're ahead of the manufacturers because there are certain ways of getting into a system that I won't get into, but there are ways that they can do that, that they're, they're ahead of the curve. So the question is, are they doing it for the sake of, for fun, or are they doing it for malicious intent? And the jury's still out. Now, the auto industry formed what they call an auto ISAC, Correct. where different car companies and suppliers can get together and share data. How's that working out? Well, so we've, that's a perfect example. So we've made that, uh, that tool that you saw, Car MBS, available to Auto ISAC and its membership so that they can start utilizing it and, and um, see how they want to deploy it to protect and, and gather more intelligence so that they can, what we call security by design or safety by design, you can't do that without intel. And so by gathering all of that intelligence, in a more focused area, then they can guard against it. Mm -hmm. Jim, what role does artificial intelligence play in sifting through all this data that you've got? Is, is that a good tool? Because of the volumes of data and, and the sources and velocity of the data, to do it with pure humans is almost impossible. So you use tools like artificial intelligence to sift through the data, determine patterns, and help you build algorithms that can then go into the vehicle or go into the back end to, to monitor trends and predict, predict the future, actually. Can you give us some examples of that? Um, if you look at a vehicle driving down the road, recognizing shapes is absolutely important to an autonomous vehicle. So we use artificial intelligence along with our, our OEM partners to develop algorithms for looking at various shapes, determine what they are and how they might move whether they will come in front of the vehicle, go away from the vehicle, or confuse the vehicle, mm -hmm. and then develop an algorithm to, to work around that. So it may not be able to distinguish a tree from a person, especially if that person is not moving. That's what you want to be able to do, is recognize a person who then might unexpectedly move. Or if you look at a person, a tall person versus a short person, the short person may be a child, and the child may move in different ways than an adult might move. Wow, very interesting how you're going to be able to predict all this. Let's go back to the, the privacy concerns mm -hmm. there, Mike. Uh, people are worried about all their data getting out there. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you talked about anonymizing data. Mm -hmm. uh, what other things can you do to reassure the public that you know what GeoTab is doing is, is not going to endanger them in any way or or give away any of their secrets. Yes, I mean, I think a lot of it is, those are, there's a technology angle, there's a policy angle, uh, and it's also uh, about education as well too, to um, everyone certainly at Geotab, our whole ecosystem about how we're doing a lot of this aggregation and, and what makes sense. We, you know, we have risk committees that we put in place to make sure that uh, you know, not every single um, uh, data set that you release out there is created equal. They all have to be individually kind of scrutinized and understood about the, the, the risks and everything in putting some of this out. But our, our kind of premise is, 
if we can, we're sitting on this pile of, of data, you know, like I said, 40 billion records uh, a day. We need to do something with this to benefit the community, right? Uh, to benefit uh, our, our community and, uh, and municipalities. So things like hazardous driving areas. So we're never taking an individual instance of somebody slamming in their, on their brakes, but if I can identify an intersection where people are slamming on their brakes constantly at aggregate over a few months, well, you know, that's a great use case for how you can take data and aggregate it in a way that makes sense to deliver back to the community. Um, so, I mean, there's so many techniques. I gotta believe too, you mentioned in Europe there's some regulation on data protection. Mm -hmm. So all of this has gotta vary from region to oh. region or maybe even country to country. Well you look at like the data residency issues, right? And so data that is collected, you know, in the US oftentimes has to stay in the US. Canada has something similar, Europe has something similar. So when you're looking at creating value out of a lot of this, it becomes a challenge when you're looking at data, data residency issues. Oftentimes I said, I wish the UN would step in and have this one common domain where data could uh, reside. But you know, you certainly understand that uh, there are, are specific needs uh, to, to have it in separate uh, jurisdictions. Yeah, we have a concept we call distributed data lakes. Yeah. So as you gather this data at very high velocity, you dump it into a lake but you can't have a single lake because of all of the data restrictions from country to country. So you have multiple lakes. That so there's a Europe lake, a U.S. <laughs> lake, a Canada there, lake. There are, and they all have to work together because if you develop a pattern in one, you want to learn that and use it in the other also. The nice thing is that oftentimes the insights that you're driving out of a lot of this uh, big data is uh, are localized, right? So if I'm looking at intersection insight, well, it's going to be at an intersection in, in Michigan or in California. But the problem then becomes when you start seeing disparate legislations from state to state even. And that's what we're starting to see now. And it's tough to weed through a lot of that. So Nevada's got something coming that's different from California. There are some similarities, but these nuances too that you have to be acutely aware of. Huge challenges. Call the UN. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Brian, same issue with cyber? There's different things that you have to do in different regions? Absolutely. Or, or is cyber cyber? No, no. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the same thing. Today, it's not, it's not so much uh, by state. It's certainly by, by continent, by region. Um, so we see different um, issues like in Europe that we're addressing. Um, we have a presence there. We have a presence in Asia Pacific and then obviously the United States. Um, as California starts changing laws like that and does start getting driven by state by state, that might create some challenges. But what, we're, what we see at the OEM level when we're communicating with them is they're utilizing legislation out of a state level and saying, we, if we're going to comply with one, we know we're going to have to comply with them all at some point. So let's just go ahead and take the worst of the bunch and, and apply, design, that to apply it to everything. Could exactly. you do that with your data then, Mike? I mean, you certainly, uh, I think you, you certainly I mean, could. take one, pro let, let's just say, for example, Europe is the toughest, yeah. so we're just going to do everything like Europe requires, or, it, or it, you're leaving money on the table at you that know, point. It, it's just hard to say because uh, there are all these different stipulations when you dig deep in the legislation that prevent you from doing certain things. So um, we, we try to look at the, the lowest common denominator and use that as a baseline to move, but even still, there are changes that are hard to anticipate, right? Yeah, Jim, you mentioned the different lakes. Are there other approaches to doing this? Um, there is, is another consideration from a, a government perspective and regulatory perspective, and that is in the event a vehicle has an incident, you want to be able to recall the test data that supports that incident mm. to determine have you tested for it, how did it react during the test, and that test may have occurred several years ago. So to be able to recreate it and re-simulate re that type of incident um, you have to go into the data lakes, find the information, 
bring it back and recreate it. So this has got to be a, a great business for DXC. I mean, if I'm a car company now, I've got to keep all my data going way back for the very example you just cited. The, the management of data and the life cycle of data is something that we as DXC help many of our customers with because of the, the complexity of it and uh, the, the long-term management of that information is very important. And the crazy thing is that not all data, as you guys know, is, is created equal as well, too. Uh, data arising from one vehicle can be completely disparate from another OEM. And so what we try to do at Geotab is act as that kind of normalizer across the board so that you're looking for a seatbelt buckled, unbuckle event. Well, don't worry about what code it is. Just give us that one API call and we'll tell you whether it was buckled or unbuckled, irregardless of the make and Even though different car companies Even, may have stored that data in different ways? Exactly, so we do a lot of reverse engineering on our side and that's part of kind of our secret sauce in, in, in creating that normalization across the board because it is so disparate. It's very, very different. You look at some of the older vehicles versus some of the newer vehicles. Even between makes and models, things are changing all the time. So uh, to have a nice normalized layer, especially for our commercial customers who buy from multiple uh, OEMs, right? So it's, um, uh, it's needed in the, in the end. Brian, so the, the, the cyber stuff that you're working with, does it have a short shelf life because the, the bad guys are always changing things or do you have to hold on to all this data too? It, it, so it comes down to the mechanics of how we were built, and, and uh, our, our design team, again, they come from the, the famous 8200 and, and intelligence services in, in Israel. Um, the way they built it in such a way where uh, we don't have to deal with the change from month to month that maybe some software code developers and things like that, it's built in such a way where it automatically detects and, and protects. And while there may be some updates occasionally in that way, it's not about the specific type of attack, it's the way that the algorithms work. So we're not as subject to that. Okay, so Jim's company is not going to be storing your data, but he might go after Mike's data, right? <laughs> we can store data for not only autonomous vehicle testing, but for the overall production of vehicles, the interaction with customers. Uh, we, we store data across a, a great landscape of industries, customers, and situations. We're also seeing a shift I've noticed that um, it's, before it was about collecting data and only making it available to the manufacturer. We're seeing some of the tier ones in the OEM saying, we want to make that available to the driver so that they can have an interactive approach oh, and effect. So mm -hmm, as mm -hmm, you're getting mm -hmm. leakage of data or something like that, it says, hey, we just realized that something happened. Do you want to do this or do you want to do that? So they now have a role uh, you're going to see in the next couple of years where they can play a role in that in terms of protecting data or no, let it go or whatever their decision might be. We're good. With that, we're going to have to wrap this up. But Mike Branch from Geotab, Brian Short from Caramba, iCaramba, <laughs> and Jim Miller from DXC. Thank you, guys. Very interesting discussion. Thank you for having us. Thank, Thank you. Underwriting for the production of AutoLine this week has been provided by RSM. challenges specific to your business by working with trusted advisors who help turn obstacles into opportunities. Experience the power of being understood. RSM, audit, tax and consulting for the middle market.